it finally happened after an offseason full of posturing and leaks and negotiations and other nonsense. A Donovan Mitchell trade finally happened on Thursday afternoon, but not to the New York Knicks. Donovan Mitchell is heading to the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Jazz got some young talent in return. They got a boatload of picks in return. We're going to talk about all of that. But I also just wanted to talk about the reaction writ large. And to do that, I thought that the best person to bring on would be Mark Russell Pereira, one of our um, best columnists, basketball minds, a video guy who's done post-game hangouts with with many of you all. So, Mark, so glad to have you, especially because you're you're on vacation. You're in the middle of what is essentially a layover um, on your way abroad, and you're hanging out with us, even though you've been awake for something like 16 hours. Yeah, I uh, uh, I packed a Donovan Mitchell T-shirt and thinking that, you know, I'm going to be wearing this in Denmark and, you know, the, the trade is going to be broken with the Knicks, right? And uh, I'll get some some uh, notes from some of the locals, some of the, Dane, some of the Danes uh, no, noting the shirt. And I was like, this might be the last time I'll, I'll, I'll get to wear this. Uh, Dan, they still managed to surprise us. Uh, yeah, that, that that was the coolest part about this whole thing for me uh, today uh, and just getting back to it is that we've heard machinations that of and we, we if a deal was going to be done with the Knicks, we knew every possible outcome it could be. We knew the minimum viable trade the Jazz could possibly accept from the Knicks and we knew what the Knicks were probably not going to do. And so when the trade was going to happen. Uh, we knew what that was going to look like when the trade got released today with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, we knew that Cleveland was kind of scratching around the edges, but not, nobody took any of the other teams seriously to really think about what that might look like. And we got fresh content to think about and react to. And as far <laughs> as like the actual trade uh, and because of that freshness of thinking about this with a new trade partner, it is really opening up the wounds I had uh, from three, four months ago, knowing that like Donovan Mitchell is going to be leaving the Jazz, and while and I accepted that after months and months of no trading with the Knicks, and and I eventually got around to accepting that Donovan Mitchell is never going to play for the Jazz again, or if he does, it'll be in a very limited capacity. But now, because of the surprise today, I have a much more uh, I, I'm feeling much more like I did about three months ago, which is like very much more visceral, much more deep than, than I would have if the Knicks deal finally happened, for instance. Much much more ug. Yes. <laughs> because this wasn't an outcome that anybody imagined, you know? And um, so I, I want to get to that. And there's a reason why I'm talking to you specifically, and we'll get to that. Quick aside about your Donovan Mitchell t-shirt story. I, I decided as a, as a means of almost like daring the universe I decided on Jan- on July 3rd of 2017, I had family in town in New York, and I decided to wear a Gordon Hayward t-shirt around New York City that day while I was taking my family around. Brutal. Um, yeah. And then, you know, obviously it was it was the next day that the Gordon Hayward knows- news came out. So, um, yeah, you just you never know. But, yeah, here's the thing. So, so the reason, the reason I want to talk to you is because you are Mr. Like, you know, you spent the season telling jazz fans, just enjoy the effing ride people like have fun, you know, enjoy this, this unique period of like the jazz being really good and, and whatever. And, 
And I think you're just kind of generally speaking a voice of reason and a voice of like sound, enjoy your team, enjoy fandom, enjoy all the phases that come with that kind of person. But at the same time, like you, your son's named Donovan, Mark, you, you wrote a like great column about, about your son, Donovan meeting Donovan Mitchell. And, and you should, you know, like if anyone has a right to be just gutted today, I mean, a lot of people have a right to be gutted today, but I just, I wanted to talk to you cause I wanted to figure out like, um, using you as kind of the microcosm of the fan experience because, you know, you do have kind of that whole spectrum of like, like you get how this works. Right. But at the same time, like it sucks because a person that means something to you and means something to your family and, and someone who like met your kid, like, so, so I just want to know, like, where are you at? Let's talk about that visceral side. Let's talk about like, what what was you you mentioned you were driving because you've been traveling all over today like what happened to your mind and body and heart and spirit when you saw that notification come across well i the it wasn't immediate but for the past few hours i just keep thinking about the joy of donovan's rookie season and also uh the off the court joy and social impact that he's provided um, to a community that needed joy uh, on court and off the court. Um, And this entire year, you're right. I've been telling people, guys, winning basketball is winning basketball. Like let's, we, we have that two to 5% chance at, at, at winning the finals, probably a 10% chance of getting to the conference finals or something like, like this is a good team that is worth just trying to put together something on the court. Um, I never had anyone push back on, on an aspect that I, I felt didn't need to be talked about, but I want to make sure that people, I, I believe this, the Donovan Mitchell that we experience as fans today in 2022 as Utah jazz fans, it's not the same Donovan Mitchell that we experienced in 2017. Uh, I also feel felt very uncomfortable um, at times with Donovan Mitchell's just presence um, and just negative aura at times with the team. It wasn't that unbridled joy that just immediately hooked us it wasn't just the post stuff. Like, obviously, we lose Hayward. We think we're in for a bad time. Here's the guy who's going to save the franchise. He was also a joyous player who was just yeah. thrilled to be there. And it it quickly, very quickly became a PR guy, right? He was he was he became immediately savvy with um with, with the media and just his general demeanor and. Uh, it it, it and felt not just a little... media, like pool parties and, you know, like he just very much belonged to Utah for a hot minute. Right. And that was like, oh, my God, that that's a guy who isn't he's not white guy. John Stockton. He's not hunting Carl Malone. He's not white guy. Gordon Hayward. This is a legitimate like basketball player who really means something to a lot of different cultures. And he liked being a Utah jazz player. And that that was new. That is not something that has happened very often, if at all. And this was going to be the guy that's like, you know, we've we've as fans as as we've grown up, 
from the 90s we're looking at those statues of malone and stockton up front and some of us are thinking like do we really want like kind of weird guys to have as statues for for certain off the court reasons what if donovan mitchell and rudy gobert were those stat like at least next to them right we have yeah. these thoughts of like they're there they would be not only just better people but better players they were going to be ours and so today dan i've been thinking a lot about the that that joy that we did have though and and I saw right before we started recording, I saw a tweet from uh, from from someone who's very in, involved with jazz Twitter and saying like, hey, you know, don't get too excited next time a, a famous jazz player, you know, you know, joins a pool party. And I, I couldn't think that is any more wrong. I think that that joy, that uh, surprise, that uh, I, I can't think of a different uh, synonym that was fun. That's the whole point. Right. Yeah. And I, I just to bring it back to the, my initial sentence, uh, I also felt uncomfortable with how the relationships of the team were building this year. Uh, I was merely telling people there, there's a basketball team that's fun, like on the court. <laughs> and uh, in, in some respects, I'm also kind of relieved that it's over. Uh, <laughs> I was probably, uh, in the camp of if, if I had to rank my options, it would be uh, keep both, keep Rudy, keep Don, right? Uh, or, 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 I'm sorry, I would keep both or I would keep Rudy and or I would trade them both. And in no event would I want to just keep Donovan Mitchell on his own um, because I think that the team it was signif- uh, uh, Donovan's team was signifying that like come 2025, he's probably not going to want to play for the jazz anymore. Um, so I, I, I am relieved that we, we are moving forward in a sense. Uh, but I'm, I'm thinking a lot about the joy that we had in 2017 and 2018 for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And that's the, uh, and that's the thing, like even this last season, as messy as it was, like I w I will never apologize for believing or, 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 or admit I was wrong or think I was wrong that for saying that the jazz had a, had a real shot that this past season, um, they did. I will go to my grave feeling like the 2020 jazz and the 2021 jazz were good enough if they had been healthy and that the 2022 jazz were good enough if they hadn't had all this bull crap to deal with inside their locker room, around their locker room forces kind of pulling and pushing at guys, from from without and within you know whether that's families or agents or inner circle whatever um and and it sucked to to sort of watch it happen and to watch the life come out of it but it's why i understood quinn snyder in june saying like you know i i always thought that like the spark could come back at any minute right and i did too i really did now if if people paid attention to how i was talking about this season's jazz my tone changed a lot in March because that's when I realized and and started to hear things that that made it that made it pretty obvious that that the stuff we were hearing about wasn't manufactured, um, it wasn't fake. That there were some real pressures that that went way beyond just the the surface level Don and Rudy stuff that everybody likes to fixate on. The team as a whole had been, you know, a little bit broken by some of their collective shortcomings by by some of their, you, you know, definitely there were some personality changes. If you think about personnel and, and who left 
and who came in and replaced those players in terms of personalities, because, you know, regardless of whether George Niang is a better or worse basketball player than Rudy Guy, they're very different people, right? And very different attitudes and very different personalities. So, so um, and I don't mean to, like, I'm not putting it all on Rudy Gay. I'm just saying that as an example, right? You could do the same thing with favors for Whiteside or Joe Ingles for, you know, whoever, because he, he left midseason and nobody really replaced him per se. So, like, all of that happened and... All of a sudden, it started to be clear in the spring that like it wasn't manufactured. And and that is when like I started to think differently about about the team and what they needed to do to hit their ceiling. But I still always believed in the ceiling and I still believe that they could have woken up on any given morning in the playoffs and just decided like, hey, let's be done with this bullshit and be the team that we can be. And. I get all the reasons why that didn't happen because personalities are hard and interpersonal stuff is hard. Um, but, but that's, you know, when you talk about the joy, like, like I still had fun. Okay. I mean, no, this past season was not fun by any reasonable definition of the word, but like this, this was a team that was worthy of all of the hope that we put behind it and, and in it. And I'm not ever going to feel bad that I bought into that just because stuff happened, you know, injury wise and, and chemistry wise that kept them from getting there. Like I, like that doesn't matter to me because I would rather, I would rather sort of believe in it and believe in something and, you know, be disappointed when they ultimately trade two top 20 NBA players than be the kind of fan who like insulates myself against that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm trying to tell people is that being optimistic is not just setting yourself up for failure and you're just going to be disappointed. There, There's a way to have fun and enjoy the moment and be optimistic about how a team could perform and, and keep a dose of realism at the same time. Uh, I think it's more important um, to just not be pessimistic, right? Um, I think that, uh, I, I forget who this quote is attributable to, but it's, uh, if you keep living, th- thinking about the worst that can happen when the worst happens, you've now lived through it twice. Congratulations. <laughs> and, right. and I, I think that's so negative, uh, and a really bad way to approach things as a fan. When this stuff is stressful, if you, if you really give a shit to the extent that we do, and a lot of our, our readers and listeners do, uh, it, it's going to be stressful. There are going to be bad losses. Uh, we, we've experienced them, but there are going to be positive things along the way. By the way, there was one this season. I think one of my top 10 most fun experiences as a Jazz fan is, came this season during the Mavericks series, and that was the Donovan to Rudy dunk to to win uh, oh, whatever, whatever game that was. The game yeah, three, game I five. I, I, was in that, five. I was in that building, man, and it was yeah. – I'm telling you, it was – I don't know where to put it. Cause like I was also in the building for Sunday out of games, although I was media for that game. So like, that's different when you experience it through that, through that lens. But like I was there for Derek Fisher coming in through the tunnel yeah. during the, 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 I believe warriors series. Like I've, I've been there for some amazing goosebump level stuff. Um, that one just, it, it felt like again, for, for a team and a fan base who was sort of waiting all year for, for what Quinn calls the spark to come back, that, that it felt in that moment like there was something happening and like there was something real that they could that they could build off of. And that's not how it went down. But like, you know, go tell 
the Dan in that moment um, and the people who were at that game with me and, and the people who I went and met in the concourse after, like, like there's like, if you, if you go tell me in that moment, like, Hey, this is going to turn out to be meaningless. And just this feeling is going to vaporize in the end. I would probably punch you in the throat because it's like the fact that this is where we are on September 1st, like doesn't make what we all lived in that moment any less special or seminal or, or like any less of the reason why we do this crap. Right. And, 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 and the, I guess and that's what I was. It's not just us either, Dan, the, the players after the game also were trying to convince themselves and us and their awards after that game saying like, Hey, you know, we, we're still good. We got this. We can do this. They, they, they did believe in it. Um, and I, I also, I think it's valid to believe that and buy into what what they what they were trying to tell us. Uh, it's it's just hard to. It became hard for this team to reach that uh, oomph, that desire, that craving to win together, and that is very disappointing for a fan to hear. Right? Like, I, okay, uh, do your job. You you definitely want people to just hey, your job is to play a game for a bunch of money. Like, do your job. And it's, I, I guess I get that. And I can't disagree with that sentiment. Um, it's, you, you need special freak people to uh, be that uh, magnanimous personality at the same time, just a ruthless robot uh, in, a, in a team five, in a five player team sport where every, all five people on the court need to be like, with it together you can't have somebody fucking up so um it's 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 hard to do um zach Lowe says this on probably every other podcast but he says getting to x level of the playoffs is hard right he 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 references that a lot when the the portland trailblazers ill-fated uh conference finals appearance a couple years back where they got completely waxed uh uh by by the warriors um and they were they did not have the talent to be in the conference finals at all but but getting there is hard it is really hard and you got to get lucky along the way and i'd argue the jazz got pretty unlucky in a lot of spaces but they they also just didn't do they they couldn't get the 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 personal stuff to get there because getting there is hard and when the rubber met the road i'm not i'm not dense i'm not too dense to admit that this team just probably didn't have that clawing, like we're going to get their personality to a man, right? Like maybe you can say uh, that, that Rudy had it at certain points. You can say that Mike Conley definitely has it, but like, does he have the talent and skill level to back up what he used to have? Um, they, they just didn't have that level of clawing and maybe Donovan will get there eventually. Right. Like he definitely had that ability and the skill and, and, and he's he got sacked by injuries last playoffs or two playoffs ago um, when he might have had like that killer instinct to uh, to provide that extra playoff spark that we see from other players. Uh, they just didn't have it. And we move forward. Um, I, I just remember a lot of great, great joy. It, you know, a lot of people talk about the, the Thunder series. Um, 
And obviously that was just a fabulous series by a rookie. And there's the, the amount of records that Donovan Mitchell has of like rookie playoff performers is, is staggering. Yeah. Uh, but, but the moment that I think the first time Donovan Mitchell made me like, just jump onto my chair and just like do a bunch of fist pumps and like, wow, he's really done it. Was that 40 pointer against the Pelicans um, yeah, in, in the regular season around December or sometime. Um, and he scored an and one in the fourth quarter it was a tight game. And he just screamed at the crowd and Derek favors was right behind him. And it was just like, Oh shit. Like, wow, what a cool guy. I will remember that forever. It's probably like the moment that we had a star and that's, I'm, I'm going to remember that for a really, really long time, Dan. And like you say, we, we move forward. So let's shift for a minute to the move forward of it all. Um, the jazz get in this deal. Um, Colin Sexton at like at a reasonable number, by the way, 18 million a year with the cap increase we're about to see is, is probably like in a few years, 18 million is going to be like low end starter money. Um, so, so that's fine. If you believe in Sexton, not everybody does. I'm not sure I'm fully bought in on Sexton, but you know, what, what, they, what's they, the they, current mid-level exception, Dan, isn't it something like 14 it's million? 10 point, it's 10.6. Okay. So, so we're talking about mid-level exception plus right so yeah uh, especially in a few years when it gets up to the maybe 12 13 14 million for the mid-level 10.5 sorry i misspoke 10.5 okay so just trying to give give anyone else listening like okay what's 18 in the sense of a roster construction right yeah yeah and and i mean like you can you, you still have a lot of flexibility if if you're paying him 18 and they also got laurie marking it at a, at a reasonable number and again like i i don't i don't know about Laurie Markinen as a prospect, I will tell you that um, the Bulls got a, a first and a second for him like almost exactly a year ago. It was like 368 days ago. So Laurie Markinen is someone who at least recently has been viewed as a positive, a, a positive trade asset, a, a guy with value in the league. They got Ochai Agabi. Ag I'm, see, I'm already pronouncing this wrong. I swore to myself I was going to get the pronunciation right. Um, Abaji, Otai Abaji, um, the recent number 14 pick, kind of an interesting guy. He's an athlete. He's a little small. He's six, five. I think if he were six, eight, he probably would have been a top 10 pick in this draft, but he's six, five, but kind of otherwise looks the part of like a, a big three and D wing, um, three first, three unprotected first round picks and two swaps. Um, I think those, I think those swaps could actually just be just as important because, you're talking about swaps that are not going to convey until after Donovan Mitchell's current deal. So unless the Cavs are able to, you know, take these next three seasons plus the PO to convince Donovan to be, to, to be part of their future, like those could be, those could be years where Cleveland is not very good. Um, I, I will say this, and, and this has kind of been, I've been steadfast on this throughout the, all the reporting and, and rumors and whatever. I always thought that, that the jazz, were more focused on how many premium assets they could get than just the number of raw picks. In fact, I was, I've been told that they, they never, there was a rumor out there that they asked for six picks or seven picks or something like that. I've been told that just wasn't true. Um, that it was never about picks. You, you know, they don't, I don't think the jazz care if they get to rival OKC in the number of, of first round picks owed. What they do care about is, you know, how many picks, are they going to get that represent a non-trivial chance at a real player? 
And so that's why I think unprotecteds were always the bigger sticking point in the New York negotiations. Um, I felt like it was going to take three unprotecteds to get a deal done. Um, it sounds like New York didn't go there or almost went there or, or made an offer and then yanked it. But, but at any rate, the Jazz got the three unprotecteds that I always thought they would get or that I always thought that they would insist on either get or not make the deal. Um, because I think that was just sort of the line in the sand that was that was set by the front office. Yeah, and the interesting thing to me is that it's not always the case that the Jazz are going to look at a 2029 unprotected Cleveland first-round pick, and we're sitting here in 2022, and we're thinking, that pick, that guy's going to be our next star. You could be looking at, you know, this team's going to be dump-ass garbage this year. Um, hopefully fun, but they're going to be dump-ass yeah. garbage. Uh, and Utah is going to have uh, their own pick, so they're going to, they are going to start rebuilding today. And let's say you have a team that is worth a shit and affordable in 2025. Now you have assets, un- additional unprotected picks that you can trade then for the next Donovan Mitchell who wants out um, as, as you're rebuilding the team. You could very well see Utah being having a team as good as Cleveland was this year, right? Uh, a play-in caliber team with young players uh, in three or four years if things break right. And so, and if things don't break right, well, you got the unprotected picks to try again. So it's not that we're, we need to look at 2029 as like the next time the Jazz will be good. You can look at that as being, okay, That those are assets that can be flipped for other things if the Jazz do the next few years right. And if we don't do the next few years right, we can use those picks to actually try to draft some good guys. Uh, the assets being post-Donovan Mitchell's contract is, oh man, that is really, really cool. And uh, is especially because... A uh, lot of respect to Cleveland um, and how they're building the team. They got fun players. They got a good environment um, post LeBron. Um, but Donovan Mitchell's from Connecticut, uh, or he's from New York. He went, he went to high school in Connecticut, and uh, he, he he has an affinity for the Knicks. And and even if he's not looking to go to the Knicks, based on however that off season's looking like. Uh, as I was kind of lamenting earlier, I think his star is he's, he's trying to shine a little bit brighter than maybe Cleveland could do. Um, so if they lose Donovan Mitchell uh, uh, and they fail to trade him like Utah did uh, today, uh, we could be looking at a fun situation. Yeah, yeah. And look, maybe by then Evan Mobley is good enough that it matters a little less. Darius Garland is is he's already good. I think he's already better than a lot of people realize he is. Um, you know, Jared Allen is interesting. I don't, you know, he might not be like an all NBA. He, he might not be on a Rudy Gobert like trajectory, but he's that type of player and that type of presence. So good like player. there are other ways that, yeah, there are other ways that Cleveland could be good and stay good and all those things. But, but yeah, getting two swaps and two picks after Donovan's contract just gives the jazz a lot of optionality. I wanted to I wanted to throw this by you. So so this is reportedly according to Tony Jones, this is the so it's it's Buker who, you know, like whatever, say what you will about Buke. Um Buke reports this package. Um Tony I guess was on the air sort of trying to 
be coy and share some details without sharing details. And then he found out that Buke and Woj were talking about it. So, so at that point he said, yeah, that's the package that the jazz were ready to accept over the weekend. But then New York yanked the offer, brought it back to them with less. And the jazz said, okay, why are you screwing around with us? Why are you submitting an offer and then amending it downward? So that offer was, and I, and I just, I want to float this by you to see like relative to Markkanen, Sexton, Abaji, three unprotecteds, two swaps. Like, how does this make you feel? The, the offer supposedly was that the Jazz were mulling, but getting close to saying yes to per Tony Jones. RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, two unprotected New York picks, two swap rights, a Milwaukee pick that is lightly protected will likely convey in 25. Um, you know, they'll probably still be good, so it won't be a great pick. And two seconds. Um, if the Jazz had accepted that that package before New York pulled it, and by the way, what New York came back with, they, they pulled the offer and they came back with the same offer minus the two seconds and minus the two swaps. And I have no idea why you would do that if you were in New York, other than the fact that New York has like 12 layers of organizational chart in their front office and they all come from different regimes and they all care about different things and they're all passionate about different players. So someone somewhere said, you offered what? And told them to dial it back. But if the Jazz had accepted that offer, like, does that feel better than, as good as, worse than the the package that they ultimately got from the Cavs? Because I, I honestly can't decide. And I think that largely it is it is a function of you know, how you feel about Sexton versus RJ. Because basically what the Knicks were saying is RJ is in this deal instead of more picks. And um, even though, you know, you have to pay him starting next season. And so I feel like that logic only tracks if the Jazz are passionate about RJ. And I'm, and I, and I'm not sure they ever were. I think they always looked at RJ as sort of like, a, well, that's a rebuilding piece. He's young enough that we could flip him later. Maybe. Um, so I just, I, I can't, I can't decide if, if I'm mad at New York for pulling that offer or if I'm going, Oh, thank God they dodged a bullet and got the better package in the end because they got three unprotected picks and two unprotected swaps. No, I'm thrilled at the, the end result. Um, I, I am, I, I think that Nick's offer is fine. Um, I think Knicks fans would be like, oh, great. We don't have to pay RJ Barrett. I think they would be happy about that. I think they'd be happy they only had to give up quickly instead of Quentin Grimes, who I think is uh, a better prospect. And I think the Jazz believe that Quentin Grimes was a, was a better prospect. And uh, as, as a side note, I think that was also part of the haggling over what picks the, the Jazz would get from the Knicks if they insisted on Grimes versus quickly. Um, I think it's weird that in order to get Donovan Mitchell, the Knicks would kind of be that stubborn about um, the picks in the Grimes situation. Like, um, but but in any event, uh, as a Knicks fan, you'd think, oh, okay, we're giving up the Bucks pick, which sucks. Don't care about that, and two unprotected picks during during a period where we're probably going to be pretty decent instead of Cleveland way out there picks. Who knows what they could be? I want to emphasize that you don't necessarily need to have Cleveland be bad. You just need to be in a situation in 25, 26, whatever, to convince somebody else that Cleveland might be bad because they are fully naked, unprotected. 
and you might be yeah, able to you, you might be able to do something with them for yourself or by flipping them to another team. Uh, so the Knicks picks are a little bit closer, so you're dealing with that that situation. Um, uh, Donovan Mitchell's likelihood to stay, that whole thing. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm thrilled if only because we could walk away from the Knicks offer and. The worst you could say about the Cleveland offer is that it is lateral. And there in no event could you say that the Cleveland offer was worse unless you just have a ridiculous uh, opinion of R.J. Barrett uh, to the extent of, yeah, that guy's worth the money that you immediately have to pay him. Um, whereas Colin Sexton is like, that guy's fine. Never going to make an all-star team. Only got to pay him 18 million bucks. That's that's fine. Like that's still a net positive asset, I think. Um, and yeah, I I'm very happy with this to to walk away from the next table and be like, well, we we got a different offer and uh, amazing hubris from from the Knicks to think that we we were fine going into the season with Donovan Mitchell on the team. Like that it, it that that was a viable outcome. Uh, and, and it ended up costing the next Donovan Mitchell. Um, separately, Woj reports that um, earlier in the offseason, when the Jazz and Knicks first started talking, that the Knicks sort of opened those negotiations, offering R.J. Barrett, Obi Toppin, and Mitchell Robinson, as well as three unprotected first-round picks. Now, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I haven't. I can't confirm that. I don't. I don't know if that's true. It's Woj, so I assume it's somewhat solid except that sometimes one side of the party one side of the negotiation is going to talk to Woj and in a way that makes them look better um that one like on a level it surprises me that the that the Jazz didn't take a package in July that included three unprotected first round picks other than you know I think the players involved there like if you're rebuilding what the hell, do, what, what are you going to do with a Mitchell Robinson? Like, what does that, what good does that do you, right? It's, it's, uh, yeah, and Mitchell Robinson, I think this past year proved that um, he's going to have a nice NBA career, but this was kind of his year to kind of blow up in, in a Thibodeau-based defense to say like, yeah, I'm, I can stay on the floor. I can play 35 minutes. I'm going to be a, a even a Jared Allen level um, uh, of starting center. And he just didn't do it. So I think you're looking at, a guy who's going to have uh, probably a, a decent career, but is probably going to help you a little bit. So you probably don't want him. You want actual star potential, which which Robinson wasn't going to have. Right. Um, the three unprotected picks in July probably seems great, uh, but with the Gobert trade, you can't really fault Ainge, Danny Ainge, for saying, "Thank you for the call. Don't really want to pay Mitchell Robinson. Don't really want to pay R.J. Barrett." Uh, we're asked like they probably made a counter offer at that point, which New York said, all right, take a hike, do the Gobert trade. And then from there it's, it's uh, working the phones for other teams. And you end up with a deal that is, is definitely better um, than that July deal uh, from Cleveland, which is, which was, I, I can't stop being surprised over, <laughs> over it being the Cavaliers. <laughs> um, I, I it, it's, it's a good move. the, I was um, I, I called into a podcast a couple months ago, immediately after the Gobert trade, and the and the host asked me uh, as a jazz fan, and I always introduce myself as the world's most optimistic jazz fan on this uh, on this national NBA show, um, and he says, "Are are you happy that they traded Gobert?" And I said, "I'm not stupid. Like the return 
is outstanding and it makes me happy. Um, it, it definitely softens the blow of this whole thing. Um, I'm just sad that he's not a jazz man anymore. And here I feel a little less like that because the return isn't so like insane as what we saw with the Gobert trade, but it is super awesome, especially when you compare it to um, some of the other uh, players that have been traded over the past couple of years. It's awesome. It puts us in a good spot. Um, it, the, the worst thing you can say about after the Gobert Mitchell trades over the whole thing is you don't have anyone that you can really like sink your teeth into and be like, ah, we got some guys like you get really excited about, but I think that's going to come in time. Yeah. I think, um, I think there's a good chance Justin Zanuck and Danny Ainge are going to spend a little time in France this upcoming season and, <laughs> and G and at the G league ignite and, you know, places like that where they can scout top talent. Cause I think, I think their hope is that, Maybe that's where you get the guy. And some of these other pieces that you've gotten along the way give you shots at other guys or, and I'm glad you said this, Mark, because it's absolutely right. Like a lot of the, a lot of the players acquired in these deals, a lot of the picks acquired in these deals will be transitory in nature. And I think that'll be, um, I think that'll be something that'll be interesting to watch jazz fans get used to like present company included, by the way, because even during the KOC led rebuilds and the Dennis Lindsay led rebuilds, like, those guys were open about like, look, we're not just going to do arbitrage moves. We're not going to like take an asset and flip it for something that's 105% of that asset. And then the next week flip it for something that's 102% of that asset. And uh, like, you, they just made it. They how made many it clear times were jazz fans so sick of the trade deadline coming and going? And they said, well, Alex, Alec Burke's coming back from injury. That's our trade deadline acquisition. Right. <laughs> and and I think we're going to be in a different era now because I think that the current front office, not just Danny, like, you know, beyond Danny, I think that the that the feeling is like, look, we can't get emotional about this. We're, we got to do the best thing to, to put the best jazz team on the floor is I think how they feel. And so I think, you know, look, some of these players might come and might endear themselves to fans in a certain way. And, and then, you know be the chum in the water when the jazz are looking for their next, you know, their next player to really compliment, you know, whoever compliment Victor Wimbayana or I don't know from my mouth to God's ears. Right. I don't know if that'll work out, but, but yeah, I, I just think that, I just think that all of these assets are, are, you know, very temporary in a way that jazz fans haven't necessarily experienced because those previous regimes, even when they were rebuilding, did still value some minimal level of continuity and culture and jazz guys and whatever it is. And I, and I think that, that this new generation is going to be a little bit more um, calculating about it. And just, you know, if, if there's a chance to get a guy who has an X percent higher chance of netting us a star player later, let's go do it. I just, I, I think that that's going to be, I think this is going to be a fun rebuild is I guess where I'm going at. And, and I don't say that like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not on the payroll. And like, I just, I find rebuilds to be kind of um, sort of satisfying to the intellectual part of me as a fan, as opposed to like, you know, it's also fun when they're good and when they're kicking ass and when they're, you know, on a 59 win pace, like they were two seasons ago, like that was fun too. But what we're about to experience is a different level of fun because 
it's it's all of us you know sitting around and playing fake gm and and looking at these assets and watching the value develop or not develop over over time so i don't know i know that was a word vomit no i, just, I, I, I think this is going to be a really interesting one i i'm picking up what you're putting down and but it, it's allowing me to um counter what you're saying though because and i Bring think it's going back to what we were talking about at the beginning um yeah, this is going to be a very transactional period for the Jazz, and the goal is to win a title. I think it's super magnified now, even more than than the '90s era or the early 2000s, where you count the rings and that's all that matter. But like, it matters even more now, like especially from general managers and owners. Like, let's go win the title um, and avoid the luxury tax while doing so. Um, but uh, I, I don't want to be too emotional about this. Um, and I agree with moving on from Rudy and Donovan. I think putting it at, at conclusion, it was a good move to, to move on from these stars. Love the memories they provided us. Uh, day in and day out, Dan, this, this team is not going to win basketball games. And no, for I think a long time. For a long time. It's, uh, I think day, day in and day out might be fun to watch some players grow and do some cool things or surprise us or, or what have you. Um, it kids aren't going to be able to go to the arena and see the jazz win. Like, I think that matters a little bit. Um, just as far as like being a fan and I just want to counter like the transactional nature of it a little bit. I think being too, uh, stagnant in your team building, uh, can have, uh, its own negative effects as we saw in the Kevin O'Connor years of, like not actually improving the team when, when there actually wasn't any uh, uh, stability that was worth building on. Um, and I think this latest iteration of the Mitchell Gobert teams, they did try to iterate upon that consistency and the, there were amazing vibes with this team. And as you touched upon earlier, they said, well, we, we got good vibes, but let's try to improve around the margins. And turns out that this team was way more emotionally fragile than they, than they, could have ever possibly imagined and the whole shit fell apart um but they, they did try to say like all right let's let's be a little consistent with who our stars are and, and what it means to have jazz dna jazz basketball with a guy like quinn snyder who preaches a certain level of play uh an unselfish guy of rudy doing everything unselfishly who wants to be in utah forever and the magnanimous you know shooting guard superstar and donovan mitchell like this this is jazz basketball put a bunch of pieces around them. It's going to be awesome. It's fun. And it was fun for the fans. You want to end up with a team that is three, four guys that are with the team for six to 10 years. And you win a bunch of shit with them. Um, you, the, you, we're not going to have the warriors again, right? Like we can't shoot for say like, all right, we got those four hall of famers and um, we're, we're going to be amazing. Right. I'm, I'm including Durant in that. Um, uh, in, in that force in there, but like you can't always just strive for that for them being there for that long. And I, I guess I should just reduce that down to Curry, Clay, and, and Draymond. But you do hope to say, like, you can cheer for a guy like, uh, let's say we were the Trailblazers and Damian Lillard had just better pieces around him, right? And he wants to stay. You do want that is more fun as a fan to have a guy who who is with your team for a long time and you ended up end up ascending to the peak with that guy uh it's gonna be a very sad transactional nature of this team for the next few years and i and i just i, I really loathe 
the the Thunder this year. I think that they had enough space and talent moves that they could do to like kind of put together a real team this year, even before the Holmgren injury. And they just didn't. And that really pissed me off. I was like, you guys can actually do something. Like you got Shea Gilgis Alexander, who is a good player, an all-star level player, and you're just not doing shit. Like that's really annoying to me. And I don't want it to get, I don't want it to reduce that far. I really want to see a productive basketball that's affordable for like, I, like, I don't want to, you know, tread water and have expensive players that don't mean anything. I, I, I do respect that we have good people at the helm who are going to uh, analyze contracts smartly and make sure that we're not going to really just be a, a shitty seven seat that's too expensive. And I'm sure Ryan Smith will appreciate that as well. Uh, I just, I, I, I can't bring myself to just being uh, a computer NBA G- GM. I, I really just want to, be happy about jazz basketball sooner than later. Uh, I don't really have a, a neat conclusion to that, Dan. It's just more that uh, I'm looking forward to playing armchair GM too. I just don't want to be doing it for very long. No, I, I get all of that. And all I mean, all I meant by my comment about like it, it being a, a weird, a different kind of fun is like for the next little bit, we're all kind of like trading penny stocks. Right. And, and people are going to like, like the Twitter debates are going to be about like, Oh, who do you believe in more, Abaji or Talon Horton Tucker? And and in a way, that's actually kind of a depressing place to be, you know, resting your hopes as a franchise. But it's just, you know, like I've covered now two rebuilds. I covered the the post, uh, like literally my first year ever covering the Jazz on credential was the year post John and Carl, um, and then obviously after after D well. And, and then, you know, they kind of hung on for a minute and tried to be fake good after D well, but then a year later they finally let Al Jefferson and Paul Millsap walk. And, um, and then I got to kind of live that rebuild as well. And like, they are fun because it's, it's, it's like the opposite of what last season was where everybody's looking for reasons not to believe and looking for reasons to kind of poke holes in, in their sheen of optimism or whatever. For the next couple of years, everyone's going to be like putting all their all their penny stock money on Larry Markkinen, and like and and maybe it yields nothing, but like it's it's just kind of a weirdly like low expectation, low blood pressure, like everything's gravy, everything's house money sort of period until it's not, and that's where like you say, at some point you have to figure out how to how to push those assets back in and and get you know, get on the path back to being good again. So I totally agree with that as well. I, th- I um, think this, I think this fan base deserves and can, it can deal with one year this year of real bad. I get what they're doing. They're real shitty. And then next year, they don't have to be good. Uh, I think this fan base is going to want, want a path forward more than just like we got more, assets <laughs> they, they, you know, they're, they're I, gonna see like just like a, an incremental step forward that says like all right there's a plan in place I, so i have a piece coming on this actually it's like mostly written and, and in my mind i was pre-writing it so it would be ready whenever the dawn trade happened but i thought about it today and i was like no this needs to kind of live on its own and it's about that concept of rebuilding and the time that it takes you to pivot and if you think about it really like the last few rebuilds um the Jazz haven't, like, the Jazz actually didn't take very long at all 
in like figuring out, okay, who's the new core. And then it did take those new cores time to climb and whatever. But like, you know, when Gordon Hayward left, they, they got like 20 games into the season before they threw everything to Don. And all of a sudden, like the future was written. It was just a question of how quickly would they get there? And, and kind of the same thing, you know, like I said, they didn't, after the D will trade, they didn't go full rebuild until 2012, but by like Christmas of 2014, like Gobert was coming for Cantor's minutes. And it was pretty clear that Gordon Hayward was on a, was on a pretty special trajectory and that he was going to hit all-star level. And so like, you know, it'll be interesting to see if it's one of those where like, you know, 24 months from now, or even less than that, 18 months from now, are we going to already know who the next jazz core is? And then it's just a, a question of watching them grow up together or will it, or will it require more guesswork than that? And I really don't know the answer, but, but that's kind of, those are the questions that I love um, dealing with. Uh, uh, not as much as I love dealing with like, Oh, the jazz are really good. Can they win a title? But just in, in a sort of different way. Um, Anyway, we're, I'm rambling, and I've already kept you way longer than I said I would. A couple of just quick final notes, and then I'm going to send you to bed so that you can um, wake up with your small children and get them on a plane tomorrow. Um, not, not, uh, not, not to this is a, this is a longer layover, but it is it is a it is a layover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so Woj reporting that the Jazz are still working the phones a lot. Um, Boyan Bogdanovich supposedly has a lot of interest Conley too has has more interest than i think people realize um i wouldn't be shocked to see jordan clarkson or malik and or malik beasley dealt less chatter about them right now i think from a reporting standpoint but the jazz just have to make a decision about you know are those guys really rebuilding assets that are going to be around long enough that they might be there the next time the jazz are good again or will they yield something more later if the jazz hang on for now? So those, those will be interesting questions, but that's a long way of saying like, I think the jazz are far from done. I know that guys are getting to town next week to start optional practices, but I'm telling you that like this roster is still in flux and still, even after this Donovan trade, this is not the roster that we're going to, that we're going to spend most of the year um, watching lose basketball games. There, there is no chance that we put Mike Conley through any sort of, uh, year like that coming forward unless he's just and he's a fa- fabulous professional basketball player um but both as as a man and a player and he might just say like I'll, I'll i'll play 20 minutes a game like i'll 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 play and i know what you're trying to do you're trying to lose so don't play me um boya bagnanovich he's just a hard as shit croatian he might just say i'm playing my 35 like or my 30 minutes a game like you're not gonna take it away from me so we'll yeah. we'll, we'll we'll see about that like how um how the front office deals with with those but like those guys aren't going to be on the jazz at all like do 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 not expect them to be on on the jazz this year in any shape or form yep yep well mark thanks for doing this thanks for taking time while you're exhausted and uh you know hopefully you get some rest i hope you have a great trip hopefully when you get back there's a little bit more clarity on what kind of team we're looking at for the season ahead but uh, thanks for joining me. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll have a lot more in the coming days about the Donovan trade, but also about rebuilding and what this what this means and, and where the Jazz are headed as a team and what you can expect as fans. So thanks to everyone for joining this Salt City Hoops podcast. That's Mark Russell Pereira over there. I'm Dan Clayton. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, everybody. 